Okay. Ah, here we go. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Telling the Story podcast, a look at how journalists and all of us reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. Two quick reminders. Number one, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher is the best podcast app I know. It keeps a playlist of all your favorite shows and it automatically updates with new episodes so you don't have to download them. Just download the Stitcher app and subscribe to this podcast, the Telling the Story podcast. Number two, I also encourage you to check out my new book. It's called The Solo Video Journalist. It is a how-to guide for those in local TV who do it all, shooting and editing their own stories. The book's been out a few months, gotten some really nice feedback from people who have read it. I'd love for you to check it out, too. That's The Solo Video Journalist, available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and the publisher's website. I am continuing... With this episode, the theme from the last episode, workshops. June is the month to go to one. You've got IRE, Pointer, the NPPA, all hosting workshops on various weekends in various parts of the country. Last episode, we had on John Wilson. He's organizing the NPPA Rocky Mountain Workshop in Salt Lake. I'll be speaking at that one. And I'll also be speaking at another storytelling workshop three weeks later, the Sound of Life Media Southeast Storytelling Workshop in Asheville, North Carolina. Joining me today, a fellow speaker and a very talented reporter from WLOS-TV in Asheville, North Carolina, Justin Hinton. Welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Thank you for having me, and what an intro. Thank you, yes, indeed. Justin, this uh, this works out very well for you. You don't have to travel. This workshop's in your backyard. We'll be pl- spending plenty of time talking about it, but for those who haven't been to Asheville, how would you sell your fine home city? You know, Asheville is beautiful. I've been here for about two and a half years. If you love the outdoors, if you love beer, of course, that's another big seller as well. But even if you love cider, we've got that as well. But there are just so many things to do outdoors. Um, it's it's really a great place to to call home, and it's been home for the past two and a half years. It's gone by quickly. That's great. Yeah, we uh, when I posted the episode with John Wilson, someone castigated me for not asking about the liquor laws and the various alcohol options for that workshop. So I'm glad you've taken the initiative and come right out with uh, what the offerings are in Asheville. It's a great city. I've been many times now uh, excited to come up for the weekend and uh, and be a part of what should be a really great workshop. This is the weekend of June 24th. And Justin, I-, I wanted to have you on because I consider you in some ways a real workshop success story. Last year, you attended the Southeast Storytelling Workshop, the one that I organized along with this current year's organizer, John Kirtley. Now, next year comes around one year later, 12 months later, and you're speaking at the workshop. How does that feel, first of all? Um, it's exciting. I mean, the list of people that I get to speak with or that are on the, these panels are absolutely incredible. And the fact that John Curley thought that I was, you know, good enough at what I do to, to be a part of that, of that workshop is, is just really exciting and humbling as well. I mean, last year was amazing, the things that we learned, the people that we heard from. I mean, whether it's yourself, um, him, you know, Kathleen Cairns and Jed Gamber talking about breaking news. You had Scott Jensen talking about the building blocks of creating stories. So all of that that we learned in that session was absolutely incredible. And so to continue that this year and to be speaking particularly on live shots is what I'm going to be talking about is just incredible. 
And I look forward to really diving deep into what you're going to be discussing and, and the secret to great live shots because you have the, the hardware to back that up. You won a regional Emmy last year for live reporting. That was before you even came to the workshop. So you were, you'd been doing great work for a while. And certainly there are many factors that go into one's growth and success as a journalist. How would you say that last year's workshop really helped your growth? I think the big thing with last year's workshop is just those reminders, right? I've, go, I've been to a number of workshops before and have learned so many different things. And I think oftentimes we forget. We get into these grooves and these ruts sometimes. And if you're not doing those stories that you really feel passionate about at times and you're kind of just going through the motions. So I think it's important and imperative in our jobs to kind of get that inspiration every now and again. And I think that's what these workshops do. They put you back in that moment. They put you around people who are just as inspired as you are and want to do good work. And they give you those reminders of what it takes to do that good work so that when you get back to your station, you can practice it. And I'm lucky enough to be at a station where we are all about storytelling, right? It's part of our culture here. And so if you want some help or you've got, you know, a question about something, there are tons of storytellers here that that give you that advice and say, you know, just the other day I was asking somebody for, you know, I needed a line or I needed a word to make a story really sink. Um, or to be really good and for for it to really sit in. And so I, I got that help. And so it's nice when you're around that, that environment. You, uh, I, I had a feeling, we hadn't talked about this beforehand, but I had a feeling that last year's workshop was not your first that you had attended. <laughs> and, and it sounds like that you've been to quite a few and that they've been a big part of your early development. You mentioned that, that these days you, you get great reminders and great uh, kind of refreshers of inspiration, which I, I feel very similar in terms of how I look at them and what I get out of them. I'm curious, earlier in your career, uh, when you were maybe less established and less developed as a reporter uh, than you are now, was there a real catalyzing uh, element for you of those workshops? Was there something where you really felt like you walked away knowing a lot more than you did two days earlier? I think... I'm trying to think, because I, I have been to, to quite a few workshops, and I've been lucky. I mean, we, we talk about me being more established in my career. At the end of the day, I've only been doing this for five years as an actual reporter for four. So I am still very young in my career as far as doing this. And I think I've just been blessed really from the beginning of my career and starting at KFDM in Beaumont, Texas, of being in workshops that were all about storytelling. And I think those early stages of what I was doing was really taught to me by those around me. And then before Beaumont, I was a news associate in Dallas, Texas at KXAS. And so there was always this culture of storytelling around me where, where people were showing me what I needed to do, how to really make this work for your story and to move forward. So to say that there was maybe one moment or so that really sunk in, there really hasn't been that for me. But I know I do watch a lot, a lot, a lot of news, um, and I'm constantly trying to get ideas from people. You talked about, you know, my the Emmy from last year, um, and for this year, I've, I've been blessed to be nominated for another one um, for live and, and for writing as well. But half the stuff that I use for my writing, really, I get inspired from other people. I mean, there are, there are lines that I hear, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's an amazing line. How can I take that or tweak that in order to make it work for my story? And I've done that several times. They say, you know, the best imitation or, or, or the best form of flattery is imitation or something along those lines. So um, so for me, that's that's what it's about is watching and interpreting and then moving in that direction to to make it work for you. You actually provided uh, one of the great unexpected highlights of last year's workshop when one of your live shots, and I'm assuming it's on uh, your Emmy-nominated reel this year, 
Any, one of your live shots <laughs> wound up getting a massive ovation from the crowd. Uh, you obviously know what it is. Explain the live shot and explain how it became the toast of the workshop last year. <laughs> um, well, let me first start by saying, and I'll get into this in, in the workshop as well, but live shots, it, it's teamwork, right? It's not just me. It, it's So for this particular one you're talking about is we call it the thumbprint live shot. Um, and so I was doing a story about uh, this a bombing suspect and and he was tracked down years later because he left a, a fingerprint on a shopping cart and so i kind of reenacted this fingerprint being left on a shopping cart and put my thumb on the camera lens and then we turned the camera we panned into the light and so you could really see my thumb uh the thumbprint in in the light and that was on the on the lens and so kirk duda is the photographer that shot that we probably spent almost an hour trying to get it right, um, which most people don't know. <laughs> These things take time. We were doing it in between our 10 o'clock live shot and our 11 o'clock live shot. And I've seen something similar, but I've never seen it done live, and I've never seen it done in the dark because this is a, an evening live shot. So we couldn't figure out how to actually make it work, and that's what took the longest time for us to practice. And for some reason, there were these glimpses where we could see it, then we couldn't see it, then we could see it, and we couldn't see it, and we couldn't figure out for the life of us what it was that enabled us to see it. So then about 15 minutes in or so, it clicked. It was all of the, the headlights from the cars that were across the parking lot from us that was lighting up the image. So once we saw that, we said, bring out more lights, and then when he panned over, that's when you really could see that shot. Now, it's interesting because you mentioned it's obviously a matter of teamwork with live shots. And in that situation, though, I, I, I wonder what is your role there? Because obviously Kirk is the technician. He is the guy who knows the camera front and back. I would assume has, a, has just a real full command of it. And he's probably the one who's doing a lot of that experimentation. So how talk about the conversation that happens. Talk about what you do during that process. And, and talk about how that teamwork just kind of develops into something great, like what we saw with that live shot. Sure. So we'd been on this story since six o'clock and we knew we wanted to do something different for our 11 o'clock that we didn't do at 10. And so we're sitting in the car talking about it. And we both said, you know what, we've been on this story for a while. Nothing's new. Nothing's changing. How can we really up our game for this live shot? And almost instantly, we didn't say anything to each other, but almost at the same time, we said, we've got to use a thumbprint. Maybe we didn't even say anything at the time. We were just thinking it <laughs> and knew we wanted to put our, our finger on the lens. Um, but we couldn't figure out how to make that work. And so we were talking about it and trying to figure it out. And really both of us working together to try to make something work. I would try this and then that didn't work. And then he said, well, and he would say, try this. And then that didn't work. And so we kept on building and building and building until we had a foundation for the image. So then we started talking about the actual words that were going to, going to come through. And so that was me trying to figure out what I could potentially say. So once I kind of had my script together of what I wanted to say, we then made it work. And so then we all put that part together. Then once we figured out the lighting portion of it and he was going to pan over, I changed the back half of the script to actually make more sense for us going into the light. And so the viewer wasn't just looking at a light and saying, hey, what is that? So with my live shots, I'm constantly thinking, okay, what is the viewer going to be thinking and how can I make this make more sense so that they can understand it? And I'm not just doing something for the sake of doing. By the way, where can we see this famed thumbprint live shot? If you go to the workshop, you'll be able to see it there. I'll talk about it in depth. Um, I don't know. It's been over at, at several different places. I know I've put it on my Facebook page. I've put it on um, Storytellers, that Facebook page, a couple of times. So it's, it's, it's out there. All right. We are going to try to track down a link that we can put in the show notes for this podcast 
And, I'll make uh, that, that way, to you. Definitely. And that way, uh, all the folks listening to this right now can go check it out. Really, truly inventive. And, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many live shots I've seen in the last year, but I would say that that is easily one of the most, if not the most, inventive one that I saw. So really, really cool and a great example of how that teamwork can produce something great. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. He's Justin Hinton, rock-solid reporter for WLOS-TV in Asheville, speaker at the Sound of Life Storytelling Workshop next month. Justin, we've already mentioned this. You won a regional Emmy last year for live reporting. You're nominated again this year, and that is what you'll be speaking about at the workshop. So let's dig in a little more. You, you mentioned you'll be showing that thumbprint live shot. What are some of the major themes you'll be discussing? Yeah. So it's me and my, my partner, Evan Donovan, who's also a reporter here. He's our weekend morning anchor here at WLOS Nashville. And we're, we're still setting it up. We're still talking about how we want to make this all work, but really the, the biggest thing that we've talked about and what we want to convey is that it's just a different mindset. I think oftentimes you know, when you're talking to your producer, I think one of the first questions they ask is, where are you going live? For me, that's not how I operate. I operate, what am I going to be doing? And so I think that then informs where I'm going to go. So we'll be getting into that and really changing your mindset. Um, so that'll be a big theme, really how to make these live shots work, how to really make them make sense, and how to, I guess, give yourself more oomph when you are giving these live shots. So we'll, we'll be going over those things. I feel like live shots are one of the few areas where, as field crews, we get the most input from the people who are not in the field. I feel like when I go out, and I'm an MMJ, so you know I'm shooting and editing my own stories, but I think this holds true for traditional crews as well, where you go out and, and when you're actually doing the interviews and writing and editing your story, you have a lot of autonomy in that process. But the live shot is where you get the most input, where you have uh, producers wanting to make sure you're live in an active spot or that discussion about whether to go live at all and, and what it means. Some reporters bristle at the idea about being live just for the sake of being live. That's a phrase you hear quite a bit. So Talk about the discussions that take place in your newsroom and what is the middle ground where you feel like you're able to kind of establish that trust and autonomy and still do live shots that are meaningful and, and innovative and impactful? I think I'm a little different because the live shots that I do do are different. And, and I think for me, you talk about having that autonomy and that, those, those conversations I know for me at the end of the day, I'm going to be live on a story. So the way that I approach it is, you know, how can I, like, what, what is it going to take for me to be happy with this live shot, right? For, for this to make sense to me, because at the end of the day, I'm going to be the one that's doing it. So the discussion, the discussion that I have with producers isn't necessarily that discussion of, you know, only, only if I can't think of something to do or, or, or I'm struggling, then we'll have that discussion. But for the most part, I've kind of got an idea of what I want or what can make this work. And sometimes my ideas are out there and crazy. Um, but when I've got that photographer that I'm working with, we work on it to make it work and, and, and we sell it. I mean, that's the title of our of our workshop session is going to be you're live now sell it. <laughs> so so that conversation doesn't always happen for me. I just start my day knowing that I'm going to be live thinking about what's the best element that I can do that to, to make that work and then go from there. Um, there are times, though, when I do struggle and, and I need some help or, or I might be tired that day, right? Because we all have those moments where we're like, you know what? 
let me just stand there, get this over with and call it a day. Um, <laughs> and so when I do have those moments, I, I might call back and say, hey, I need some help. What do you think about this? Or what do you think about this? Or is there a better way to tell the story? Because sometimes I know I had this one example where I was on two different stories. And I think there are both thoughts for both stories that I was going to do. And I said, you know what, this makes more sense if I'm fronting both of these stories and we can almost do it almost like a network live shot, right? Where we have these conversations with the anchor where they talk about, you know, this particular story. Hey, Justin, you were following this. What can you tell us about this? Give that breakdown, toss it back to them. And they say, okay, but you're also following this story. Have you learned anything new with that? And then I talk about that story. So I think it's just finding the best way to tell that story because being live is still a part of storytelling. And I think we forget that. And like you said, too, it's it's not just your decision at the end of the day. And, and this is always a thing for me because I'm used to having complete autonomy in the storytelling process as an MMJ. So I don't have to try to convince a photographer to get a certain shot or to edit a story a certain way. It's all going on. Uh, it's all me when I put together a story. The live shot is a very different thing. Now, obviously, a lot of solo video journalists uh, are having to do their own live shots, which I, I do not like that trend. But and I do not envy part, that. That would be tough. Absolutely, because it just limits what you're able to do creatively in a lot of ways. But when you're with a teammate, obviously you have to sell an idea if you have a creative one. And a lot of people listening to this right now might be saying, well, Justin, obviously you're a very creative reporter and you work at a station that values storytelling. So you probably work with photographers that are game to try some experiments and, and take some chances. What is your advice for those who might be facing more of an uphill battle with that. Sure. I say start slow. Uh, <laughs> That's a good answer. Start, start slow. Uh, and, and two, both for your sake and for the people that you're working with. Because if you have this grandiose idea, you go out there with it, and it fails miserably, which it very well could, <laughs> let's be honest, then that person may not react well to that and may not want to do something ever again. And so that makes it extremely difficult and really challenging. And you've got time to be able to grow and to figure it out and to work things out and to try things. And also, I would say practice before you go live. Um, I've done that numerous times. Even now, I'm making sure that things are, are fine, finely tuned because I want it to be good. I still want it to be a nice presentation that we, that we put on air. But And also, too, if you do try and, and something does fail, don't let that be the end of it. Say, okay, this didn't work, but look back at it and say, okay, what would have made this better? I've definitely done live shots like that where I've, I've thought something was going to be amazing. I looked back at it and it was fine, but if I would have tweaked this a little bit better or tweaked this aspect of it, it would have been that much better. Mm -hmm. So I say, have that conversation early. Um, if you've got a particular photographer that you know is more game to try something and is more open, approach that photographer first. Um, also keep an open mind if there's a certain producer that you know is a little bit more willing to be a little bit more flexible in their shows or they like that creative aspect, try to do something just for that producer's show. And then once you get better at it and you, you get more experience with it, I think it'll start to catch on and people will see, oh my gosh, you're doing great things. I want that in my show. Let's try that. And so then it will start to expand from there. Very good advice. And, and something that I think applies to a lot of different things. You know, I, I think, for example, reporters... Uh, who want to get more time in their stories. Usually the tried and true method is if you ask for it and you get it and you show that you make the most of that, then you'll get more chances to have more time and you'll develop trust with the producers. So I think from what you're saying, it, it sounds like it's the same process with live shots and that makes a tremendous amount of sense. The other thing I was going to ask you, you know, you, you obviously try a lot of things and you talk about experimenting a lot 
And certainly the other pushback that I always hear from field crews is that, yes, being live is important, but they don't want it to feel gimmicky. They don't want the, the let's just call it the storytelling of the live shot to take away from the story, especially if it's a serious story uh, and something where you, you don't want attention to be distracted from the story because you tried something uh, experimental in a live shot and it threw the whole thing off. What is your advice for kind of finding the right balance there between wanting to take chances, wanting to really push yourself, but also making sure that the story remains front and center? Yeah, I, I think it's it's talking to people, right? And asking them, hey, if I do this, do you think this is too much? Or is this not enough? Does this take away from the story? But at the same time, I'm thinking this is still part of the story, right? So I don't want to separate it too much because it is still a part of it. This is where the storytelling begins. And if I can draw you in somehow to make you go, hmm, and make you pay attention a little bit more, then you're more inclined to pay attention to what I'm saying. But I do, you know, at, there are times where, where I've been gimmicky before and, and I haven't wanted to, but I've looked at it back and said, you know, that was kind of gimmicky. So it's just about learning and, and moving forward. But, but finding that balance can be difficult at times. Um, I know I've, I've asked some people, they're like, mm, that was a little corny. I'm like, okay, well, let's work on that for next time and let's try and fix it. I'm not by any means saying that I'm perfect. Um, and there are moments where you can improve and it's really learning from your mistakes, learning from what you're doing, seeing what other people have done and, um, and trying to move forward from there. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I am Matt Pearl. He is Justin Hint, an Emmy-winning reporter and this year an Emmy-nominated reporter for WLOS-TV in Asheville, all about live shots. He will be speaking on that subject at the Sound of Life Storytelling Workshop in Asheville, North Carolina, June 23rd and 24th. Justin, I always like to use this last section of the podcast to talk about advice for young reporters. Uh, You, as you mentioned, are still very much a young reporter. Five years in the business, have achieved a lot, winning some hardware and also getting uh, to a point where you're working at a very strong station uh, in Asheville. Talk about your career path. Tell us the Justin Hinton story and how you or the things that you did early on that really made the difference. So the Justin Hinton story. Wow. Um, Where do I start? I guess... um... So in college, I, I studied abroad. Um, I studied in Egypt and Korea. And Did when not I see that back, coming, by the way. That yeah. Was, that's a, oh, yeah. That's curveball right off the bat. It, it's a great story. Um, loved my time out there. Came back, thought I had this amazing reel. Um, went to the National Association of Black Journalists Convention. Uh, popped my reel in front of news directors, uh, and they pretty much hated it. Because um, I didn't know <laughs> what I was doing. Um, I, I, I thought I knew what I was doing, but, but I didn't. And um, came back... And um, one of the news directors, Susan Tully, she popped it out and said, hey, this is what you need to do differently. She was the news director at the time at the NBC station in, in Dallas-Fort Worth. And she said, hey, do this a little bit differently. I ended up going back and tweaking basically what she said and what a lot of people had said, sent it back to her and said, hey, what do you think about this? And lo and behold, she said, this is great. You listened. I appreciate the fact that you took your time. And we've got this position here that um, you might be perfect for. It's a news associate's position. And that's how I got into the business. I was in Dallas, Fort Worth, at the NBC station for one year as a news associate, learning everything that I possibly could. I was on the assignment desk. I was in the web world. I was shadowing reporters. I was associate producing. So was there. It was really a producer training program. And I left after a year to move to the reporting side. They helped me get my first job in Beaumont. I was there for two years and then moved here to Asheville 
and I've been here for two years and some change. I would imagine those almost those apprenticeship positions, or you call it a news associate. Um, it's more like like a fellowship. Yeah, I, I imagine those are just tremendous, uh, tremendously valuable because not only are you kind of trying on all these different positions, but you're doing it in a large market. I mean, Dallas is no joke, top five, I believe now. Yeah, and yeah. that's the kind of thing where. You know, most people are heading straight out to the small markets to get their start. And at some point, you absolutely have to do that. You said you did that in Beaumont. But to get that year, and it can come in a lot of ways. I certainly benefited from having internships when I was in college at the New York, uh, New Jersey stations. But having that year off the bat to really sample a whole bunch of things and understand big market television and that rhythm, I imagine that had to be just a huge benefit for you. I mean, I was leaps and bounds ahead of what the average person who just goes to a small market can do only because I had that experience. I mean, I was literally writing anchor packages for our four o'clock show and I would go out at two o'clock to do this. And they trusted me to do this and to make it work. But this is my first job doing this. And I literally had there was a a web producer who said, don't miss a lot. And she was so (laughs) serious and she was absolutely right. And so. I learned how to write quickly, how to how to be concise in my storytelling. And and it was just a great opportunity. Then on top of that and meeting all of these different people in the business and who could impart their wisdom on me. And it was just incredible, man. It was a, it was a great year. And it sounds like so you mentioned going to the NABJ convention while you were still in school. I guess so. I, I started in school. I've been every year since I first went. I think this year might be the first year that I don't go. Um, which is which I'm not happy about, but I'm, I'm still trying to work it out. But it, it's it's a great convention. It's again more workshops that we were talking about and, and learning how to how to be a better journalist and be a better reporter. And aside from getting uh, to have your reel examined by pros by attending a, a convention like that, what were the other benefits for you as a college student in going to NABJ and being exposed to what is one of the larger conventions I would say in the whole industry? Right. I think for me, so I think I only went one year when I was still in college, and I think it was more so just being observant of what was happening and trying to meet people and just taking it all in because there is so much to do and so much to see. I think now that I'm a little bit older, it's a little bit different. But but even still, to just be walking around and, oh, there's Byron Pitts, or, oh, there's, and who will actually have a conversation with you, and, and it was amazing. I mean, there was one point where we we're on an elevator together and he was just talking to me about what I was doing and asked to, to see my stuff. And I said, here you go. And gave me <laughs> feedback on it. Like it, it's incredible. You don't have those options all the time. And when you go to a convention like that, or even the one that's coming up here, you know, to have those individuals around you that you can just ask questions for, you realize they're super down to earth. Um, and they actually like talking to young people and especially to students because we were there at one point, you know, we, we, we get it. So, so it is nice to be able to just to soak it all in as a student or even as an, as an adult and as a professional. And I was going to ask you, too, now, as you've kind of sampled a quite a few workshops, what is the difference between a workshop like the Sound of Life workshop, which will, you know, have, a, you know, a nice audience, but then there's certainly a big difference between that and NABJ. I know last year I went to the IRE workshop. That was that has a, a huge uh, attendance this year. I spoke at a at the BEA convention, which was attached to the NAB show in Las Vegas. And I've never seen a broadcast convention that size. That was ridiculous. And it was, I bumped into Larry King. 
Um, nice. So what, what would you say are the differences between those giant workshops and conventions and then these, which I, I call a little more boutique or maybe more regional, but I, I think there's different value in both. How would you say they compare and contrast? Ooh, I don't know, because I think... So I went, to, I went to UC Berkeley, right? And everybody says that it's, it's a large school. But even how big it was, I still felt that it was pretty small, right? You go through the same halls, you, you have classes around the same time. So you still kind of form your network and your group of people around those people that you're passing. Same thing with these large workshops. And the more you get to know people, like in an ABJ, you, you understand who these people are, they become your friends, and you see them all the time. And then you get to have these little breakout sessions. And so even though it's big, it still kind of feels small. Now, the one that we have coming up that are, it's more of a regional one, it is in nature a lot smaller than an NABJ convention, but you still have that one-on-one -on -one interaction like you can at an NABJ convention. And it's, so to me, they're, they're very similar in, in that sense of, of being able to have that one-on-one -on -one attention where you can talk to somebody and ask them questions. Um, it might be a little bit harder in a, in a bigger setting only because there are so many people and it can be overwhelming if you're kind of maybe more of a shyer person and, and, and doing something like that, maybe stepping out of your comfort zone might be a little bit more difficult. Um, but we're journalists, so you kind of have to get over that, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you're not doing that already. Right, exactly. Um, and so with this one, you you get to form those relationships probably a lot faster. Um, they're, they're very intense because they are over a two-day period. So you're, you're doing a lot moving from, from point A to point B. Um, but but I, I love them both equally because I think they, they do allow you to do kind of the same thing. It really is what you, what you make of it and what you take out of it. So we talked about conventions. We talked about kind of getting that uh, really interesting experience uh, at that fellowship in Dallas. What are the other tips and, and advice that you would give to younger journalists just starting out wanting to know how to really develop quickly and get on that fast track? Yeah. Uh, find, maybe find an unconventional way that other people aren't necessarily doing in order to find their path, right? Because there are so many ways to get to where you want to go, especially nowadays. There's not this one track to do it all. So find those programs out there that, that can help you develop and, and can help you develop quickly where it takes your game to an exponential level in a very short period of time. I think that's one of the best things to do. Also, watch a lot of news, right? That's one of the things that I do all the time. I'm constantly watching and watching a variety of things to see what everybody else is doing. I think one of my favorite reporters, especially at the network level, is Miguel Almaguer. Like, if you watch his live shots or his stand-ups, they're absolutely incredible. And I've seen some of the stuff he do he's done, and I'm like, how can I do that? With what we have here, how can I make that work for me? I, I told you, I'm probably the biggest copier of anybody that I know. <laughs> I watch this stuff, I get inspired, I love it, and I'm like, I want to try that. I want to do that. Um, and, and that's really is what it's all about. And then once I've tried it, figuring out, okay, now how do I put the Justin spin on this? How do I make this me? Um, because I don't want to be somebody else. I want to be me. Um, and, that, and that's kind of my view on live shots, right? I feel anybody can, can stand there. Anybody can present the news, can give you a report. But how would Justin do it, right? And, and, and why would somebody want to watch me give them a report? So that's what it comes down to for me. So watch a lot of news and then reach out to people who you admire. If you see something that they did one day, shoot them an email, say, hey, you know, well, a little bit more professional than that, but <laughs> say, I, I saw you do this and, you know, I'm a reporter as well, or I'm, I'm up and coming. I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to be a better journalist. And, and what do you think? Will everybody respond to you? No. But does it hurt you to try? Not at all. 
and you never know what you might get. That could turn into a, a long lasting relationship and, and you've got a new mentor right there. So you never know. Very cool. Good stuff. Justin Hinton, I, I always like to end with that famous reporter's question. I'm sure you've asked it many a time in your young career. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? Just come to the workshop. Tickets are still available. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Yes, Justin will be there. I will be there. Plenty of other fantastic speakers will be there. Again, that's the Sound of Life Storytelling Workshop in Asheville, North Carolina, Justin's home city, June 23rd and 24th. Justin Hinton, thanks so much for joining me on the Telling the Story podcast. Thank you. This is awesome. And I look forward to seeing you soon. And the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. And check out my new book, The Solo Video Journalist. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.